Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Jacqueline Thornhill, and I am honored to serve as the 97th president. Our club focuses on youth, children's literacy, and we support our active duty military and veterans. We meet on Thursdays at Lowry's at noon. For more information, please visit LasVegasRotary.com or follow us on Facebook at Las Vegas Rotary Club founded 1923, where you can watch a live stream of our weekly meetings. Please enjoy this week's speaker. Thank you, President Jackie. All righty. It's my pleasure to introduce our speaker today. General Dave Snoddy is the Vice Commander at the Air Force Weapons Center at Nellis Air Force Base. Um, the Weapons Center, if you don't know, is the premier weapons and tactics development and testing organization in the United States Air Force. He's a graduate of Kent State University and received a commission in the Air Force via the ROTC program. General Snoddy is a unique individual he is a cyber expert, and he dabbles in space operations, which I think makes him uniquely and invaluably suited for his role at the Weapons Center at Nellis Air Force Base, because the Weapons Center has an incredibly uh, important role in that space. So please welcome General David Snoddy to the microphone. All right, first, uh, thanks for having my, myself and um, my wife Stacy here with you today. Any day eating real food is better than a day sitting at my desk eating fast food. So I very much appreciate being here. Well, sort of in the spirit of uh, the Veterans Day and to put sort of what your Warfare Center is doing today in context, I thought we'd roll back the clock a little bit for some context and really, this sort of brackets my career, so I, I understand uh, where we've been during this period. So I'm not going back as far as uh, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, of course. Um, but I do want to roll the back, clock back and start on uh, 22nd of December, 1989. Uh, for those of you who may remember, certainly most in this room were born but at that time, but not all. That was the fall of the Berlin Wall. That changed things pretty dramatically in, in world politics. And that was the start of a very different era in international relations. Then go forward a little bit, of course, August 1990 through February 1991, we did Operation Desert Shield, followed by, of course, Desert Storm. Uh, followed shortly thereafter, on the 26th of December 1991, the fall of the Soviet Union, which again was the sort of culmination of the fall of the Berlin Wall and a very different uh, era in international relations. And of course, from 1991 to 2003, we conducted, particularly the Air Force, conducted Operations Northern Watch and Southern Watch, burning holes in the sky over southern and northern Iraq, uh, which frankly, a lot of folks, that, that was my first deployment opportunity, it was 1999, I went to Saudi Arabia in our Joint Intelligence Center, and frankly, even I, a member of the Air Force at the time, did not realize we were actively being shot at and dropping bombs on Iraqi positions in southern Iraq throughout that entire period. It was not just a no-fly zone enforcement. There was actually active conflict going on throughout that period. 
Then roll into the mid-90s, we had the Bosnia and the Kosovo operations. Our own chief of staff was shot down over Serbia in 1999 during part of those operations. Then, of course, we come to the 11th of September. So a lot of things changed, obviously, on the, sorry, on the 11th of September. As a military, it changed pretty dramatically. So Southern Watch, Northern Watch, Desert Storm, all of those operations were fairly traditional military operations. Uh, however, we had not been challenged in the air as an Air Force other than from surface-to-air missiles. So again, my, our chief of staff was shot down by a surface-to-air missile, not by another fighter aircraft. Um, so we have really not been challenged in the air as a military for those 30 years that I'm referring to. So September 11th didn't just change that, though. It also changed the fact that our focus was no longer fighting against a nation state, but fighting against non-state actors, terrorists and insurgents, uh, depending on how you want to define those, they're sort of the same thing. We were, during that period, and, you know, the notion of the military, when I was in ROTC, so going again back to the fact that we still had a Soviet Union when I was in ROTC, was all about nuclear deterrence. We then transitioned to actually fighting against another nation state in the form of Iraq and then Bosnia and in, and in Bosnia and Kosovo. But during the Bosnian operations and then certainly following into the September 11th operations, we really became a military very good at hunting humans, as epitomized by the takedown of Osama bin Laden. He was not the only one. We still hunt humans. Uh, that's largely why our predator fleet grew the way it has that's focused up at Creech Air Force Base right here in Nevada, is we really switched from fighting against large fielded armies to fighting against individual terrorists and, and insurgents on the ground, both from the ground and from the air. Also during that period, we certainly saw the growth of cyber, my own background, and the fact that we're now talking quite freely that space is no longer a sanctuary. We are contested in space. Our pure adversaries are developing capabilities to take our advantage in space away from us. So a lot of things have changed in those 30 years that have changed the nature of the military. Within just the last few years, though, we've seen some fairly dramatic shifts. Obviously, we've drawn down in Iraq quite significantly. We've drawn down in Afghanistan quite significantly. As you all know from the news, we've drawn out of Syria in just recent months. Those are all still largely counterinsurgency and counterterrorism operations. So in 2008, under Secretary of Defense then Mattis, he published the National Defense Strategy. I would normally never stand in front of a group of particularly civilians and veterans and talk about a strategy document in the Department of Defense because we've written many over the years. Nobody ever pays attention to them. They largely get put on the shelf and forgotten. That is not the case with the 2018 National Defense Strategy. That strategy really has refocused it. it. It has three what we call lines of effort, so three main focuses, which is building a more lethal force, strengthening alliances, and reforming the department become more efficient, because budgets are always tight anymore and will continue to be so. But more important than all that, it refocused the department on the fact 
we are returning to a state of great power competition. So we're sort of returning to a new version of the Cold War. Some of the adversaries that we face are the same ones we faced then. Uh, we have a resurgent Russia, although a declining Russia. Honestly, my boss, who just came from uh, USAFE most recently and, and NATO, the economy of Russia is smaller than the nation of Italy. So you've heard a lot about Italy over the last few years and their state of their economy. Russia is poorer than Italy, yet they still challenge us on the world stage, largely because they have nuclear weapons, and a lot of them. There's also, of course, quite publicly acknowledged now, China is a rising competitor. They're building at a rate we will simply not be able to keep up with. Our industrial base is just not geared to produce at the level because, of course, they have state support and cheap labor and, and a government structure very different than ours in, in how there really is no sort of government versus public or private industry. It's all sort of one in the same in China. So when they want to put their money there, which they now have a lot of, they can produce. And they're not just producing airplanes and, and ships. They're producing satellites at a pace we will not, not keep up with. Of course, the advantage we have is we have alliances and we have partners. That's a thing that none of our adversaries actually do. And then, of course, there's also North Korea and Iran. So even though we consider through our, our current policies, our biggest threat is first China as a growing power who's not going away any time soon then Russia as a declining power. But as you all know from watching the news over the last years, year or two, Iran and North Korea continuously get themselves back into the public spotlight by either in the case, well, in the case of both, launching missiles uh, or shooting down our own, uh, not manned aircraft, but our um, Global Hawk actually was shot down by the Iranians just within this last year. So they're taking very bold action, uh, which is new and frankly frightening within the department on are we actually going to come to blows. We, we came danger close with both of those nations in the last two years. Um, we, and honestly, we can't really afford that from a, our level of commitment and our level of capability. So these are very dangerous times, honestly. So what are the implications for the Air Force? Certainly each service has its own focuses now where they're, they're working on these things. For us, it's really revitalization of the nuclear arsenal. I, I, it's a little funny, or not funny, but uh, odd to say, but I can honestly remember a time in my life, because I was in college when the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union then fell during my senior year. Our curriculum, by the way, for those ROTC cadets in the audience, went away that year. We had no curriculum because our entire curriculum was focused on the Soviet Union and there was no such thing anymore. So we spent the year writing papers on what we thought the future might look like because we had no approved curriculum anymore. Um, so a lot of things have changed and the nuclear enterprise was the center of that. To be completely honest, many in the DOD, sort of, unless you were in that business, we almost forgot we had that Many in the Air Force don't really have much experience with that, and there's been some fairly well-publicized mistakes made in the nuclear enterprise in the last 10 years particularly. So we're re really revitalizing and putting a new focus on that because, again, the Soviets have, the, have missiles, China has missiles, Korea is developing missiles, and Iran very much wants missiles. 
we're recapitalizing our fleet. So all those years, those really 30 years we've been burning the high the holes in the sky over the desert, we have not been able to reinvest in new aircraft. So certainly you hear a lot, we've had the F-22 for a while, the F-35 is coming online, it has now deployed in combat. Uh, the KC-46 is a very, very, very long story. Uh, that, that drama has been going on a long time to get a new tanker to refuel our fleet. And frankly, one of the strengths of the United States, the United States Air Force brings to the fight is our tankers. We are truly a global power because we have a huge tanker fleet, but it is rapidly diminishing and we're working very hard to get the KC-46 online so we can maintain that. None of our adversaries have that capability yet. Doesn't mean they're not gonna build it. And of course on the horizon then for the nuclear enterprise and for conventional operations, we're developing the B-21, which is gonna be the next bomber in our fleet. Many other things are going on that you, you continue to see in the news. So the third real big focus though for our chief of staff and our Air Force has been the restoration of readiness. So we've been running hard for 30 years. We're now starting to ramp down those operations in the Middle East, but of course Iran keeps rattling the saber, so we keep sending more aircraft back, even though we're trying to return them to the, to the homeland. But the big question we've been struggling with is, so we're restoring readiness, but ready for what? What do we need to be ready to do? We hope we're not gonna continue manhunting forever. That fight we know is not going away. The terrorists still exist. Al-Qaeda still exists, although in a, a much diminished state. ISIS still exists, although in a much diminished state. But as we push those down, others grow other places. Uh, a lot of them are now based in Africa, so we have an increasing footprint in Africa. Um, I just saw some articles this morning. We're reopening a base in, in Niger uh, that is a fairly old place, but we're gonna start putting folks in there. Um, so the, again, the question, ready for what? And that's honestly where your warfare center comes into the picture for the Air Force. Were the advanced training, well, I should start the other end, were the ad operational testers, the tactics developers, and the advanced trainers for not just our air crew, not just our fighter force, but our space operators, our cyber operators, our ICBM missileers, basically all of our combat uh, capabilities in the Air Force. So I do have about a five and a half minute video that'll give you a pretty good oversight of the Warfare Center, hopefully it all works. Uh, and then a little bit at the end is a little bit of a, a uh, bonus that sort of highlights. Highlights, of course, that the uh, Nellis is hosting our air show this weekend, open to the public Saturday and Sunday. It'll start uh, doors sort of open 9 a.m. each day. Um, and due to sunset, we'll end at about 4 each day. On Saturday and Sunday, the Thunderbirds will cap off the, the afternoon. Uh, but we'll have a lot of other good performances. As a matter of fact, Sunday uh, will be the, what we call the Finney Flight or the final time someone will perform publicly for three of our Thunderbirds and also for one of our show performers. And integrate Air Force operational me, and tactical capabilities. Through her final air show will be Sunday as one of our afternoon performers.
that's an ongoing conversation right now. Welcome to your United States Air Force Warfare Center, headquartered at Nellis Air Force Base, Nevada. With more than 11,000 people across the United States, it is the Air Force's single warfare center, empowered to develop and integrate Air Force operational and tactical capabilities through testing, tactics development, and advanced training. To accomplish this, Warfare Center personnel develop test plans, conduct tests, and evaluate the results. Through this process, the Warfare Center provides recommendations for fielding weapon systems and capabilities. Testing alone, however, does not provide a warfighting capability. So with each new capability, the Warfare Center develops methods for using them. These methods are referred to as tactics. The priorities of the U.S. Air Force Warfare Center are to focus on the integration of our warfighting capabilities in a hostile environment. To do this, we are leveraging live and virtual events to prepare our forces for tomorrow's conflicts. Live capabilities are represented through exercises involving real people and equipment in a real battle space. Virtual capabilities are represented in testing, exercises, and training that use real people, but computer simulated equipment and the environments created for the virtual battle space are called the constructive environment. To accomplish the Warfare Center mission, we rely on six different organizations. The first organization making up the Warfare Center is the 99th Air Base Wing at Nellis. The wing supports and maintains everything that allows Nellis to operate. From the infrastructure such as lights, water and road maintenance, to support for our airmen's medical services and security needs, to logistics like supply and transportation. The second organization, the Nevada Test and Training Range, or NTDR, is responsible for operating and maintaining 2.9 million acres of land and 12,000 square miles of associated airspace. More than 40,000 testing and training sorties are flown over the range annually, and the majority of all U.S. Air Force live ordnance is dropped on this range. The third organization assigned to the Warfare Center is the 53rd Wing, headquartered at Eglin Air Force Base, Florida. The men and women of the 53rd Wing test and evaluate systems such as aircraft, space systems, software, and the actual weapons employed by our aircraft. Once they have ensured the weapon systems are performing as expected, they then develop the tactics our frontline units will use when employing these weapon systems. The fourth organization is the 505th Command and Control Wing, headquartered at Hurlburt Field in Florida. The wing is responsible for the testing, tactics, and training of our operational-level warfighters, specializing in command and control in air, space, and cyberspace. The fifth organization is the 57th Wing, headquartered at Nellis Air Force Base. The wing is one of the most diverse wings in the Air Force, made up of nearly every air, space, and cyber asset in the Air Force inventory. Its mission is to provide realistic advanced training to prepare our forces for tomorrow's wars. The primary way the 57th Wing provides this advanced training is through the United States Air Force Weapons School and Advanced Training Exercises. The pinnacle of these exercises is Red Flag. 
It is conducted at Nellis and on the Air Force's premier battle space, the Nevada Test and Training Range. Red Flag's primary focus is to prepare our forces for the next fight through the integration of our warfighting capabilities in a large force employment against a similarly skilled and equipped adversary. The final organization assigned to the Warfare Center is the Air Force Joint Test Program Office, or AFJO for short, headquartered at Nellis Air Force Base. AFJO strengthens our nation's joint interoperability by developing joint tactics, techniques, and procedures for the soldier, sailor, airman, and marine. It is these six organizations that come together to make up your U.S. Air Force Warfare Center. of that Thunderbird. It's one of the unique benefits a cyber guy gets being stationed as a Warfare Center vice is you get to fly in any Warfare Center aircraft, including the Thunderbirds. So that was August 13th, up on the range, full show rehearsal. I made it almost the whole way through, second to last, uh, second to last maneuver, after, not long after that one, did me in, but uh, it was still well worth it. It was a, a, an unbelievable experience. Um, and again, this weekend, of course, they'll be uh, performing their last show, so they'll probably be up about uh, 2, 2.30 each day to do their full show. So you saw the video on the Warfare Center. I'll, I'll hit again. So we're all about operational testing, which is not the does the airplane stay in the air, does it perform properly. It's can the airplane do what the warfighter needs it to do and perfecting employing that weapon if it has limitations to get the most bang for our buck out of those weapon systems. We then take that, we turn it into tactics, which are then proliferated across the Air Force and even to our joint, joint and coalition prop partners. And then we conduct advanced training. And you heard the knitter mentioned there a lot, so that gets back for the ready for what. We've been training on the knitter and in other places for basically doing a lot of close air support and uh, manhunting. So we, are, we have not also been preparing or upgrading that, inf that infrastructure at the level, honestly, we should be to fight a peer adversary. So that's where a lot of our focus across the Air Force is turning now. And you heard us talk about in the video the live virtual constructive environment. Frankly, we know we have to go there. There's always going to be an element of live flying because there's nothing like pulling nine Gs in a fighter in a fight to know that you're ready to do that, which you're not going to experience in a simulator. Uh, but you will experience the tactics and, and the switchology and all those things the pilots and, and other operators need to be able to do. So at Nellis, if you happen to visit there, 
uh, near our gym. You'll see a nice big complex going up that we call the, the Virtual Test and Training Center Ops Center, which is going to be the hub of a fully virtual environment where we'll be able to fly F-15s, F-22s, F-35s, AWACS, and eventually have space and cyber capabilities so that we can train and turn all our toys on because, frankly, we can no longer turn all our toys on, even on the knitter, because someone's always watching. It uh, used to be that we had time where we could be out there and we were pretty confident nobody could see what we were doing. That time is now gone because, again, the Chinese and others are fielding more uh, satellites than we are, so they are always overhead. Um, so we have to go into that world of if you really want to rehearse with your highest-end toys, it's all going to be in the virtual environment with some complemented by live flying. Uh, so, again, thanks for having me today. Hopefully this has been useful, and uh, I'll be happy to take your questions to include, like, the future of space. So there was a, a movie a couple months back, and I realized it was a movie, but they presented a scenario that very real. Uh, there was an organization that was out to kill the pre president. They released a fleet of about 400 drones, about this big, and they all had um, charges to them. Um, do we have countermeasures for something like that? Because, I mean, it looked, it, I mean, that doesn't look like that's that far away from being a reality. Do we have countermeasures? We are developing countermeasures. Uh, so that, the use of drones, both by civilians uh, and potential adversaries, is of great concern to the DOD and, and frankly, the federal government right now. Um, matter of fact, at the Super Bowl, we actually employed some countermeasures. Uh, and there were a number, FBI rolled up a number of drone operators at the Super Bowl that were flying in otherwise restricted airspace. So the Air Force Research Lab and others have developed some software, cyber-based actually, um, capabilities against some of the more common drones, most of which, believe it or not, are built in China. Um, so we do have some software-based cyber capabilities. There are, I mean, it's in the press a lot lately, the Athena system is being developed, which is a high-powered laser, uh, which can be employed. We wouldn't generally do that in the US, uh, but certainly in a combat zone, because we have, you know, the attacks on the Saudi Aramco oil fields were done by drone. Uh, so it is basically the new um, cruise missile is now drones of various sizes, some very large and some very small. Uh, so the swarming technology is a real concern, too. Mm -hmm. Also, things we're pursuing ourselves on the possible application of that right. ourselves. So it is a very real and scary and frankly, as Americans and with the, the laws and freedoms that we um, have, it actually becomes a very difficult thing in the U.S. to protect against that because we, the U.S., have categorized drones as civil aircraft. So as a military, we're not allowed to shoot down American civil aircraft. So if one comes across our fence line, we're in a delicate policy area right now. And we really have no real capability. So obviously with our air show, we've got some concerns about that. Uh, but we're building towards that. We're still sort of vulnerable right now, honestly. General Snotty, welcome to Rotary and happy Veterans Week. Thank you. When I was watching that roll, they call it the Delta roll of the Thunderbirds, 
How much is that are the pilots driving themselves and how much is driven by a computer program? So for the Thunderbirds, that is 100% human. There is, uh, and I was in number four, which in the, if you're familiar with the Thunderbirds, when they start the show, they're in the diamond, the four ship. Number four is the one in the back. So the entire show, my head was pinned back to the chair because of the G-forces, watching the belly of number one. So number one is really the only one in the two solos that are watching outside their aircraft. The two wingmen in number four are staring at number one, and everything is based off where he is in the sky. They are, absolutely. So much so that the, my, my pilot, Whit Collins, had to warn me that, please, when we go into high Gs, don't let your knee slap sideways against the stick, because if it does, you'll be flying the plane, <laughs> which is very dangerous. Thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, I noticed you left out Creech as part of the uh, Air Force, and I was wondering what it is at Creech that makes it so interesting, and also, as the drones are civil airlines, Air pieces. Uh, how do you how do you propose getting the uh, government to change that so that it could be military as well? So Creech actually was has, it's always been its own independent wing, the 432nd at Creech. But until actually within the last six months, Nellis, the 99th Air Base Wing, actually supported Creech as an air base wing, so provided security, communications, all those. Uh, within the last, actually this past summer, Creech split from Nellis and became its own installation. So the 432nd now has its own mission support group and runs Nellis, although it still has many ties to uh, Nellis for reachback support. But Creech is our first uh, RPA base, remotely piloted aircraft, um, and has been the heart of military remotely piloted aircraft operations for quite some time because it is clearly very remote, so uh, not real visible to uh, prying eyes, although if you've driven past it, it's a stone's throw from the highway. Um, and it's a growing operation. It's not going to go anywhere. So even in the United States, we're actually not allowed. We fly those drones, or the RPAs, the, on the NITR, the Nevada Test and Training Range, because it's federal airspace. We actually can't fly them anywhere else in the United States. Uh, without special approvals through the FAA. Um, so that, that's also a policy issue we constantly have to deal with on how to train our RPA operators. We do it on, on the Nevada Test and Training Range, which if, for those, it was a real quick uh, shot in there, basically follows the highway up towards Tonopah. We physically control the land space, and then even about twice as much airspace is exclusive military. It's actually the only piece of airspace in the entire, entire United States that never has a commercial airline or cross over it. So it is truly a national treasure as far as uh, military training and testing goes. The Air Force uses a lot of abbreviations and the NITR happens to be Nellis Test and Training Range. Exactly. Some of them, you guys didn't get that. And that's the, so the, the Nevada Test and Training Range, correct, is unique because we run it, as in Nellis, we have an organization, as you saw, that runs and manages uh, the land and the airspace, but it's actually about split between us and Air Force Material Command and the Department of Energy 
on what that airspace is used for at any, any given time. So actually, a lot of developmental test is also done on the Nevada Test and Training Range by our acquisition and logistics uh, partners, largely based out of Edwards Air Force Base in California, but they come over to operate here as well. Well, it is, so the Groom Lake complex is part of the range complex, uh, and that's actually AFMC, Air Force Material Command, uh, operates. Thank you for your service. Um, I was wondering, just out of curiosity, what the price tag is for a weekend for the air show at Nellis. Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. I, I actually don't know that I've heard that detail, but it, it is, because um, we actually do pay performers to come, so there actually is a budget. Um, and this one, you know, two, this is only, we did not do an air show last year, but we did one the year prior, which was the 70th air anniversary, and I think we spent a bit more on that one. Um, this one is still a big air show. It's in the hundreds of thousands, but I, I personally don't know the exact figure. But, and, it, and we expect, honestly, about 300,000 folks to come to the air show this weekend. Last question. There was a news report that the nuclear arsenal um, moved away from floppy disks, um, yeah. something like that. That now I don't I don't remember exactly what it is now. Can you maybe talk about the security around that and why it was necessary to move? So that's actually something we chuckle about in the non-nuclear business, especially a cyber guy. Because um, matter of fact, I believe it was eight-inch floppy disks, which were not even a thing when I was you know growing up with computers. So the fact that our missile capsules still actually had that is a little bit odd. Um, so that's where a lot of the revitalization of the nuclear enterprise comes in. So part of those systems is, of course, um, the nuclear command and control networks that we have that include Air Force One, the National Airborne Operations Center, all the things it takes if, should we, God forbid, ever have to launch one of those things. Um, those are all being modernized, led by U.S. Strategic Command out in Omaha. Because, again, we have sort of turned, a, not, a, not a blind eye, but we have not been placing the attention on that really since the fall of the Soviet Union. But now that the world is, seems to be destabilizing a bit with the growth of nuclear weapons, uh, we are definitely having to refocus attention and, and sink way more dollars into revitalizing it and protecting that infrastructure. Thank you. Thank you very much, General Snobby, for bringing us up to date on Nellis. We'd like to present you with our Share What You Can Award, which means that we're going to give a donation to the local USO in your name. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you again. I'd like to call up Ted McAdam now, please. I can, uh, I can say, having heard this present, kind of presentation over the years, this is one of the most informative and enlightening conversations we've had with a commander out at Nellis in all the years I've been here. And General Snotty, thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. We're about ready to enjoy the uh, retirement of the colors, um, but we're going to... Um, we're going to the first thing we're going to do is we're going to invite the honor guard to come in and they're going to do a flag folding ceremony. So all of you can see and hear, I'm going to ask you to remain seated.
And then when they're done, I will call for the retirement, at which time, at which time I will ask you to stand, and the colors will be retired, and we will appropriately salute the colors as they depart the room. Okay? Yes, you can have this microphone. Oh, the other one. Who has the... Uh, Rose, thank you, Rose. If you give that to Captain Dowdy, thank you. So if the color guard would prepare to retire the colors, please, and perform the flag folding ceremony. You may remain seated. and members of the Las Vegas Club. Welcome to the Palo Verde Air Force Junior ROTC Flag Folding Ceremony. The flag folding ceremony honors our flag and represents the same religious principles on which our country was founded. The portion of the flag denoting honor is a Canton field of blue. It contains the stars that represents the states our veterans are from. When draped as a pall on the casket of a veteran, the Canton field of blue dresses from left to right and is inverted. In the armed forces of the United States, at the ceremony of retreat, the flag is lowered, folded in a triangle fold, and then kept under watch throughout the night as a tribute to our nation's honored dead. second fold is a symbol of our belief in the eternal life. Grace and arms. The third fold is made in honor and remembrance of a veteran departing our ranks who gave their life for the defense of our country to attain, to attain peace throughout the world. Lord, arms. The fourth fold represents our weaker nature, for as American citizens trusting in God, it is to him we turn to in times of peace as well as in times of war, for his divine guidance. The fifth fold is a tribute to our country, for in the words of Stephen Decatur, our country, in dealing with other countries, may she always be right, but it's still our country, right or wrong. The sixth fold is for where our hearts lie. It is with our heart that we all pledge allegiance 
to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The seventh fold is a tribute to our armed forces, for it is through the armed forces that we protect our country and our flag against all her enemies, whether they be found within or without the boundaries of our republic. The eighth fold is a tribute to the one who entered into the valley of the shadow of death, that we might see the light of day, and to honor mother for whom it flies on Mother's Day. The ninth fold is a tribute to womanhood, for it has been through their faith, love, loyalty, and devotion that the character of the men and women who have made this country great has been molded. The tenth fold is a tribute to father, for he too has given his sons and daughters for the defense of our country since they were first born. The eleventh fold represents the God-fearing foundation that gives us strength to persevere over our enemies and compassion for those we have vanquished. The twelfth fold is in tribute to our nation's youth, for they are the future generations who will carry our flag aloft with courage, strength, and pride. followed in the armed forces of the United States, persevering for us the rights, privileges, and freedoms we enjoy today. In the morning, the flag is brought out and, at the ceremony of Reveille, run aloft as a symbol of our belief in the resurrection of the body. Thank you. This concludes our ceremony. You may remain seated, please. If this is in any way representative of our youth and the future of our country, we are blessed, truly. We're now going to retire the colors. Retire the colors, please stand.
present arms. Order arms. Thank you very much. President Jackie, please close the meeting. Short and to the point. Meeting adjourned. We hope you enjoyed the latest podcast from the Las Vegas Rotary Club. For more information about future meetings, membership, and our local service projects, please visit lasvegasrotary.com. Now please go out, take action, and connect the world. <laughs>